Welcome to the latest episode of Comic Book Physics, released through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. Now that we've wrapped up the series that follow the unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown podcast following its conclusion, I'm able to open it up a little bit and go back to using the listener's suggestions. This month we're not doing an explicit suggestion. This is just following up on a conversation that started on Facebook that I didn't want to respond to immediately because I just wanted to think about it and go through it for a bit. Because I don't want to focus on where the science goes wrong in all these comics. I also want to bring up times that it went right or things that could be going on in the background to make the science work. Also, because I've been following the greatest Marvel stories countdown, it's been very heavy in the Marvel comics. This time around, it's going to be a DC topic. The topic specifically is about Adam Strange. Now, for those not familiar with Adam Strange, a big part of the concept is that he was a scientist on Earth who gets teleported to another world and has become a hero on that world using technology and intelligence and just things that are not culturally native to that planet. And he makes it with a Zeta Beam. So the Zeta Beam passes through Earth at regular intervals, as well as through a specific planet in the Alpha Centauri system. Now, the question that came up is that since Alpha Centauri is about four light years away, shouldn't it take four years for him to get from Earth to that world in Alpha Centauri? So wouldn't instantaneous teleportation violate the theory of relativity? Now, we've talked about relativity before, where Einstein had realized or discovered that all modes of conventional acceleration are limited by the speed of light. So there's no way you can strap a rocket to something and accelerate it beyond the speed of light. To travel faster than light, theory of relativity says it's effectively impossible unless you can figure out how to warp space and take a shortcut so that you still travel less than the speed of light through your local space, but take a shortcut through the universe and end up a greater distance away. It turns out that there may actually be a way to circumvent this limit using something that would look like the Zeta Beam. And to understand how that works, we've got to get it down and view things at the quantum mechanical level. So quantum mechanics is the study of things at the fundamental level, the smallest possible particles. So electrons, quarks, the protons and neutrons that are made up of quarks, the photons that make up light, and so forth. Turns out that at the quantum mechanical level, these particles have properties and behaviors that we cannot reproduce at the macroscopic level. One of these properties is what's known as self-interference. So when you have a wave on an ocean, if it's reflecting off a rock or anything like that, waves on a surface of a liquid, you can see that when the waves come in contact with each other. So if the crest or the high part of one wave overlaps the crest of another wave, they add up and get higher. But if the crest of one wave overlaps with the lower part of the trough of another, they can cancel out and you get a smoother surface. That's called constructive interference when the waves add up and destructive interference when they cancel each other out, but it's still interference. Well, it turns out that all particles, all the elementary particles at least, on a fundamental level such as photons of light, have these interference properties as well. Because they are not found in specific locations, there's more probability waves dictating where they might be or what states they might be in. And rather shockingly, experiments done in the early days of quantum mechanics showed that this is going to be true of them regardless of whether or not there's other particles around. So imagine you have two slits and you launch a single photon at it. If you're doing a number of photons, we know what kind of interference pattern we expect. So you get 
light going through one slit, light going through another slit, and you know where you're going to have the bright spots and dark spots behind it as a direct result of this interference pattern where one photon has a crest, where the other photon has a trough, and so forth. That's easy enough to reproduce by firing laser pointers at thin single slit or double slit experiments. What's harder to figure out, or harder to at least wrap your head around, is the fact that you don't need to have multiple photons for this to happen. Scientists were able to slow down or reduce the intensity of light to the point where they knew it was a single photon at a time hitting those two slits, and the interference pattern stayed. And this confused them, because they figured you're going to need two photons to make an interference pattern, because they have to interfere with each other. If they're coming one at a time, you only get an interference pattern if that photon goes through both slits at the same time, which was making no sense. So they rigged up a system that allowed them to determine which slit a photon goes through, and the interference pattern went away with no other changes. So what they realized is that the photons and other elementary particles who have this probability of existing over space actually exist in all of that space to one degree or another, unless directly observed and forced to make a decision, effectively, between being in one slit or the other. So if you have no system to detect which slit a single photon goes through, it goes through both. If you've got a system to detect which slit it goes through, then it does only go through one or the other. And the interference pattern that we see changes explicitly to let us know which that is. And you can put in a system that only detects whether or not it goes through, say, the slit on the left, and the interference pattern still goes away. So it's as though because you can detect it if it goes through the left, well, sometimes it must go through the right then, because it's still interacting with that detection system in one way or another. Well, Einstein was one of the scientists who realized that this may be inconsistent with the theory of relativity, because we do know that even though particles don't sort of settle down or what they call collapse the wave function and determine which slit they go through or which state they're in until they're observed, conservation laws still apply. So if you produce two photons traveling back to back, where, say, they're the spin, which is an intrinsic value of all particles, if their spins are opposite, so say one is plus one, one is minus one, the spins add up to zero, even though each photon does not exist in a single spin state, they don't settle down or the wave function doesn't collapse until you observe it, that conservation is still preserved. So if you produce these two photons going back to back, let them travel for a few minutes uninterrupted, and then do your best to measure both simultaneously, or at least so close to simultaneously, that the light speed delay of information coming from one particle to the other is not enough for that information to get across. They will still have spins that add up to zero. So if you observe the photon that's been traveling left for, say, let's make it a year. So these are two light years apart. It would take two years for that information to travel. If you send out two photons in two different directions into space, on January 1st of this year. And then on January 1st of next year, people who are already in place detect the spin on both photons. We can't predict whether the spin on the photon that went left will be up or down, plus one or minus one, but whatever spin that has will match the spin on the other particle. This is a phenomenon called quantum entanglement, and it's actually the basis of teleportation technology now. We send out or create groups of particles that are quote-unquote entangled, where the state of one is related to the state of the other. And then we teleport particles from one to the other by having, say, a hydrogen atom interact with them. Well, if this hydrogen atom interacts with one of these particles in a specific way, we can rig it up so that the entangled particle on the other end takes on exactly the same state properties as that hydrogen atom we were trying to teleport. 
So it's not like the Star Trek teleporters where they turn you into energy, move you from point A to point B, and then turn that energy back into matter. So it's kind of the same person built out of the same stuff. The teleportation we've managed now is by having an equal quantity of these same particles at the destination, and we rearrange their quantum states using entanglement, which apparently travels without a light speed delay, to exactly reproduce the quantum states of the source material. This is something that Adam Strange actually could use to provide instantaneous transportation from Earth's system to the Alpha Centauri system, provided the Zeta beam that already existed, independent of Adam Strange, is set up with entangled particles at both ends and enough of the particles so that the particles on Alpha Centauri at the end of that beam have all the constituent particles of Adam Strange on Earth. So he's not so much teleported as the Adam Strange on Earth is completely destroyed, but a brand new, completely identical Adam Strange is recreated in Alpha Centauri. For the most part, this would be totally indistinguishable from Adam Strange teleporting and would allow him to get there from point A to point B without that light speed delay. We can do it because the Zeta Beam is a regularly occurring phenomenon. It's pre-planned, it's predictable, so things could be in place to begin with. So this one actually can work as long as that Zeta Beam is very specific and very carefully crafted. The question opens up is that in the DC universe, we have confirmation that the human souls are real. Just look at the Spectre, just look at when Green Arrow came back from the dead under the pen of Kevin Smith, although that raises questions about how Barry Allen came back under the pen of Grant Morrison, but when doesn't Grant Morrison work ask questions? But that's another story. So we don't know how the DC Universe connects the souls to the body. Either the soul is somehow transported, maybe it's contained within the information in the quantum states that's reproduced, or Adam Strange lost his soul the first time he teleported, or something along those lines. But in any event, whether or not he has a soul is independent of whether or not he can teleport as we've seen on the page, and the answer is that with a sufficiently well-crafted Zeta Beam, he absolutely can. So this time around, the science gets a pass. Join us again the last Wednesday of next month and every month thereafter as we continue to go through comic book physics. Suggestions for topics can be emailed to bureau42podcasts at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate this and any of the shows you listen to on iTunes and on Stitcher. It really does help the shows get noticed. And finally, thank you for listening.